This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. Speaking of which, I I had this thought today that I wanted to share with you regarding um, age, and it's something that we constantly fight, and as hard as we fight with it, we are in an ongoing losing battle with getting older, (laughs) right? We try to defeat it, but it rolls in just as relentlessly as the waves on the beach, but as the um, opening words to a popular soap opera many years ago, as the sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. We try to protect ourselves against this thing called age. We exercise, we take pills, we try to eat right, and eventually we give in to this enemy called age and our energy fades and wrinkles form around our eyes and our hair falls out. And if you're like me, sooner rather than later. But there's nothing that we can do to keep that from happening. But here's the thing, just like many other things that we go through that we can't control, Jesus uh, taught us in Matthew chapter 6, and if I may paraphrase today, he told us not to worry about these things, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. Amen. Growing old will happen. However, growing old isn't as important as growing up. And I heard some amens on that one. Being mature in your walk with Christ is a matter of choice. It's a battle that unlike age, we can win this one. And God wants us to mature or to grow up in our relationship with him. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about it over and over and over. Uh, It says that we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. You hear those words? Have you ever looked at your kids when they've done something absolutely ridiculous and said, son, you got to grow up. And I think in a roundabout way, Jesus sometimes has to look at us and tell us the same thing. I understand what you're going through. I am not blind to the fact that your day has been tough. I'm not blind to the fact that your situation doesn't always match what you think that I told you. But the reality is I need you to grow up. May grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. The Bible also says, therefore, laying aside, which means we put away things of malice, of guile, of being hypocrites, envy, and evil speaking as newborn babes is what it says. Because newborn babies are the ones, the immature Christians are the ones that get themselves into malice and to lust and into greed and to gossip and all these things. Immature Christians. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to grow up at new, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. That's how we grow up. That's how we become a mature Christian is when we want to drink the living water. Hebrews chapter 5 says, but solid food belongs to those who are of what? Full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles, it's time to graduate from elementary school to college. 
And it's time to get the degree in this thing called life so that we can go about it in such a way where we're not worried about every little thing that happens, but rather our faith is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. To be mature, I must do three things. I must be teachable. I must be leadable. And I must be changeable. I must be willing to learn. I need to be taught even in the position that I have as pastor where I'm supposed to be coming week in and week out and giving you the word of God. There's still times where I must be taught. And for all of the retired pastors that are inside this room, you'll agree that even now at your age, there's times for you to be taught because we are never at a point where we stop learning. When we have stopped learning, we have become complacent. And complacency, there's so many things in the Bible that I could say about what the Lord says about being complacent in your walk with Him. Rather, we shouldn't be doing that, but what? Ever evolving, growing, a daily pursuit of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I must be teachable, and I have to be led. I've always been taught that in order to lead, you must first learn to be led. And I must be willing to change. Immature Christians are stuck in what they always know, not willing to allow the Holy Spirit to change them. And by that, I mean sin. Doing the same thing over and over, asking God to forgive. I just did a Bible lesson with my boys just the other day about when Jesus was tempted. And the mind of a child, I asked the boys, I said, do you know what temptation means? And Israel raised his hands. Does that mean that you're a criminal? I said, no, it doesn't mean that. That's not what that means. Temptation. And I went through the process of what temptation is and how Jesus was tempted, but he never gave in to that temptation. Why? Because he was a mature Christian. Because his life was on God and nothing else. It didn't matter what man said. It didn't matter what man did. It didn't matter what situation was around him. His faith and his trust was in God. That's what being a mature Christian means. To allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us, to be mature. To be mature, I must change. Now, as you know, for the Christian, this process of being mature is one that we never complete this side of heaven. Being mature makes us realize that we'll never make it here. It's an ongoing daily process. One fact about mature people is they're always changing, always moving towards being more mature. I read this, okay? Being mature is this. It is to be able to develop and to discern competence as to how to live appropriately and to change rightly. Now, there's several indicators that I want to go through today on whether or not an individual is working towards this goal. For example, I'd say that you know that you're mature when balance replaces extreme. When good choices replace bad ones. When our concern for others outweighs the concern for ourselves. When we detect the presence of evil or danger before it's obvious. When we have wisdom and understanding as well as knowledge. When our awareness of needs is matched by our compassion and involvement. When we have the willingness to change once we are convinced that change is needed. When we have the ability to grow spiritually. What? By an independent intake of God's word. That we're not just solely relying on what the pastor preaches every Sunday, but we become mature Christians when we're able to go home and learn for ourselves. 
Maturing Christians, according to the Bible, walk in unity. They labor for the master. They pray. They live holy. They never stop growing. Listen, they affirm others. They're content in all aspects of life. We're going to get to that in a minute. They have confidence in God's power. They care for others who hurt. They sacrificially meet the needs of others. They are grateful and they give all glory to God. Mature Christians, mature pastors are ones that don't get up here and say that, oh, look at me. Look at all the books that I've written. Look at all the TV shows that I have been on. No, a mature pastor is one that gets up here and says, through me, look what God has done. And that's the same mindset we should have in life. Not what I've accomplished, not what I have done, but rather who God is in me. One person said it like this, that being mature is the ability to do a job whether you are supervised or not. To complete a job once it's begun, to carry money without the need to spend it, and last but not least, the ability to bear an injustice without needing to get even. And we could go on and on and on about what a mature Christian looks like, but I think the best way to understand it by example is the life of Jesus Christ, is seeing how he lived his life. And, 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 and Jesus talked a lot about Paul, and Paul was a mature Christian. And we're going to go there today, um, Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bible. We're going to read from God's Word to see what Paul said about being a mature Christian. We're going to have it up on the screen Chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but listen to this, but you had no opportunity to show it. Meaning that I was concerned and willing to help you even when I didn't have an opportunity to. I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I've learned to be in content whatever the circumstances. I know what it, it, what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. One of the most popular verses in all of Scripture. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you know, now listen, Paul was a church planner. Paul planted churches, and in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, listen, when he set out, he said, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For when, watch this. He said, When I was there, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire, listen, is that more be credited to your account. Paul wasn't concerned grateful, yes. Blessed, yes. But he wasn't concerned with people giving him because he learned that, it's, that it is much better to give than it is to receive. He accepted the gifts. He wanted the gifts. But in return, what he said, what I truly desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received. Now watch this. It says they are a fragrant offering. An acceptable sacrifice. Pleasing to God. And then watch what it says next. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It seems to me that verse 19, we love to quote it. We love to say it. 
We like to put it on um, backs of t-shirts and all that stuff and wear it around because I want God to bless me that he will meet all my needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, because if you read context, if you're not mature in your walk with God, those riches of his glory aren't going to come. We need to be mature in our relationship with Christ so that he will meet all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. It's a letter that he wrote. So in this letter, Paul tells us a couple things about mature Christians. And I'd like to go there today. And share that number one, mature Christians affirm others. Look at verse 10 and you'll see that he affirmed the people for their kindness in sending him money and gifts. And he affirms them for doing that in the past. And if you know the context and you know the word came back that Paul was in need. So they took a collection and sent it to him. Later, when they heard that the need continued, they did the same thing again. This time they sent him helpers. Paul's mission work took him south to um, Berea, then on to Athens. And while in Athens, his companions went back home. But Paul and Silas, who was sent to help him, stayed and moved on. They caught him up in, um, uh, up in um, Corinth, where according to the word, they again heard Paul needed assistance. See, though in the process of the story, they lost track to where Paul was since he was constantly on the move. And communications back then were obviously not what they are today. They couldn't just email him or send him a text. And so this is what Paul meant when he said, you were concerned for me but lacked the opportunity because I didn't know where you were. They didn't know where he was. While on his third missionary journey, Paul was imprisoned in Rome. News reached the church as to where Paul was and they learned that he was in prison and in need of everything. He couldn't work as a tent maker to make the money that he really needed to, to have the clothes warm enough for the winter months in Rome. And, and immediately they began to collect funds and things to send him. And in the letter that Paul sent back, he affirmed them. He affirmed them for the things that they had done, saying you didn't have to. I didn't ask for it, but I'm so grateful that you sent me gifts. He told them their act was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And then what did he do? He prayed a blessing on him saying that my wish is that blessings will be added to you. And I want you to know that Paul did much more than just thank them for what they had done. He affirmed them for who they were. And that is the mark of being mature right there. This ability to affirm, not just appreciate things. And I, I like it, don't get me wrong, when people do good things for me. But can we appreciate them for who they are when those things don't come? You see, as important as appreciation for a job well done may be, it is incomplete. People are not mere tools appointed to accomplish a set of tasks. We are not human doings. We're human beings. It's not about what we do, but it's about who we are. 
And when we affirm people, we have to affirm that they are unique, that they have worth, that they have dignity. And the best, most mature people like like Paul know that they must appreciate them, not just for what they did, but for who they are. Have you ever been affirmed? Has anyone ever made you feel proud simply because you were God's precious creation? Worth more than the life of his own son, gifted and called to his purpose, I have, and it feels wonderful. The practices of, 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 of doing this is a sign that you are mature, and it is a quality that all Christians, young and old, should embrace. For Hebrews chapter 10 tells us to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We must encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Mature people build each other up. See, there's a big difference in acts and ways. To know my acts is to know what I've done, but to know my ways is to know who I am. Immature Christians only want God for his acts. They only want God for the healing, for the comfort, for the deliverance, for the peace. But the mature Christians want that, but they also know who he is. They know that he's sovereign, and they know that he's in control, and whatever God says is what God says. And not to veer too far off this rabbit trail today, but why is it so important to know who he is and not just what he can do? Because here's the answer. Information on who he is leads to transformation in who he is. And if you look at Romans chapter 12, it is impossible to actualize the will of God in your life until your mind has been transformed. And you cannot have a renewed mind until it's been changed. The question I want to ask you this morning is simply this. Are we being formed, transformed, or merely informed? Are we simply getting information on Sundays, or is the Holy Spirit actually changing us? One of the things that bothers me is to hear people say, well, I've heard that before, but then go out and act like they've never heard that before. The issue is not information. The information is out there. It's the transformation. Has the information changed you? Information's in the head while transformation's in the heart. Information is understanding how smart you are, but transformation makes you listen. Hearing what God is trying to tell you. That's why we got to ask the question, what are you hearing God say today? It's not just what the preacher said. It's not just what the teacher said. It's what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me right now? The word that Christ gives to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are these words. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. If we're going to move on with God and grow being mature, we must do what I tell my kids, turn your listening ears on. And we have to take and apply the word of God to our life. Allowing it to merge from information in my head to transformation in my heart. Transformation involves deep listening. Information looks to the facts. Transformation looks at relationships. Information is knowledge about, but transformation is union with. Information is self-taught, but transformation is one taught by the Holy Spirit. 
Information asks, what do you know? Transformation asks, who are you becoming like? See, in this process whereby, hear me, where the Spirit of God applies the Word of God to the child of God, he becomes like the Son of God. Listen, as a matter of proven fact, when the man of God looks into the Word of God and sees the Son of God, he'll be touched by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. It's about transformation. It's not just about information. To be a mature Christian means I have to apply these words. These simply just aren't words on a piece of paper. This is how we live our life. This is why we do what we do. This is why we exist. This is, our, this is our being. Everything here, this is alive. This is alive. It's active. This Bible written many, many, many thousand years ago is still true today. And obedience alone doesn't change us. You say, what, Pastor? God tells me to do it and I obey, right? I've done my part. No, knowledge is good, but the Holy Spirit is needed to complete the process. When I obey, all I'm doing is I'm creating an environment whereby the Holy Spirit can begin to transform me. We have to be a willing vessel, not merely words or actions. It does not work just to say, God, change me. That's a start, but it's not the process. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that changes me. It's the Holy Spirit that energizes my will so that I want to change. You see, I've preached on this before and I just touched on it for just a minute. We pray all the time that, Lord, give me the, give me the, uh, the um, uh, desires of my heart. God, you know the desire of my heart. I prayed for it last night. I need you to do it. I need you to do it because the Bible said it. And Jesus is looking down, shaking his head and saying, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean for you to just pray what you wanted and, um, and then just poof, it's there. That's not how this thing works. I need you to align yourself, your, your, your spirit with me so that my desires become your desires so that when I give you the desires of your heart, it's not just in your heart, but it's my heart for you. Transformation. We must affirm others. Mark number two, being a mature Christian, Christians are content in all situations of life. Look at verse 11 where Paul writes, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever state or circumstance that I'm in. To Paul, it made no difference whether he was freed or bound. It made no difference if it was hot, humid, or cold. It made no difference to him if he received a gift or if he did not. You see, there's two kinds of people in this world. One whose emotion is registered by what happens around them. If the situation is tight, they become tight. If it's tense, they become tense. If they're in the valley, then that's worry and fear. If it's calm and quiet, they have peace. Their situation dictates their emotion. But then there's the other side of it where you have people like Paul who regulate the atmosphere no matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if it's bad, I'm praising God. If it's good, I'm praising God. If it's cold, I'm praising God. If it's hot, I'm praising God. When a mature Christian gets to that place where 
nothing else bothers them, it doesn't matter what trial that they face or what valley that they may walk through, they will praise God. That's what mature Christianity looks like. We need to be regulators, one that will regulate the atmosphere in every room that we walk in. Well, pastor, you just don't know what I went through this week. Wife and I got in an argument. Kids aren't doing what they're supposed to. I got a bad report from the doctor. The job, my boss called me in his office the other way, so I came into church Wednesday night frustrated, upset, and mad. Can I tell you, you get out of life what you put in life. You get out of church what you put in church. If you come in with an with an, with an attitude that I won't get anything from God, then you're going to leave here the same way you walked in. But if I come into this place with expectation in my heart that God's going to do something in my spirit, that God's going to change me, then by golly, he will because he said he would. <sighs> Regulators. I'm walking in this building. I'm walking in my home. I'm walking in my office building as if God just saved me for the first time. And I'm trusting God in every circumstance. There ain't no need to worry about what we can't control. One thing Paul would tell us is that this contentment that he felt is an internal thing. In other words, we don't really need anything outside of ourselves to be happy. We don't need money or things to be joyful. No true contentment comes from inside or comes from uh, true contentment comes from inside. And I think most of us believe that. But I can argue too that most everybody doesn't live like that. We change jobs, we change homes, we change relationships, we're still not happy. Um, uh, John Roseman, he's a doctor who wrote several, several years ago about this um, epidemic of being bored in our culture. And it was among children. And as parts of his research, he found that on average, a child five years old, five, a child that is five years old owns over 200 toys. Well, no wonder he's bored. And now it's impossible to go out to eat and not see somebody, an adult or a child glued to their phone. It's because we have conditioned ourselves to think that we need it. We have conditioned ourselves that we can't live without it. That we can't be okay with just being with each other. I mean, adults, answer this question. Truly answer it. I know this is different. It's not a run the aisles type message. This is one that truly looks to the inside of who we are in Christ. Does having more toys or have, going to more movies or eating out more or getting away for more weekends or enlarging my wardrobe, is it really helping you? Or is it just giving you a momentary, um, a temporary rest? When, when I go on vacation and I come back, I typically need a vacation from the one that I just got home on. Yeah? When I have more money, what happens? I spend more. When I get more toys, I buy more toys. It does, it's, it's, it's an ever-going process that never ends. But really, what the Bible's telling us to do, hey, I've given you everything you need. Are all these things great? Absolutely. If you got the money, have it, okay? There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But my religion and my relationship with God is not based on the things that I have, but rather my relationship in Jesus Christ. 
Another thing Paul would tell us about this contentment that he had is that it's a learned behavior. In other words, we're not born content, nor do we gravitate to being content. It's a virtue that is learned. This reminds me of, of um, a testimonies that I've read of um, prisoners of war. And they would say things like, we learned after a few hours what it took to survive and we adapted. They were saying that the, that the conditions were miserable. The food was awful, being treated awful. But I choose to adapt. Why? Because at the end of the day, I want to go home. And so I have to be content even when my situation is bleak and it doesn't look good. Why? Because my trust is not in what I can do, but my trust is in what God can do. And I want to be sure we understand this today. There are some things to which we should never be content over. We are not to be content with the, with the needs of those around us. We are to be concerned and discontent with those that we can meet them. We're not to be content to see people die and go to hell. We, we aren't to be content with our own sin, okay? There ought to always be some tension. But I'm talking about the Bible when it says in James when to count it as joy as we go through trials of many kinds. That when we face something that seems unbearable in the moment... When we face something, a mountain too high to cross or a valley too low to, 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 too low to get through, that my faith must be in Jesus. Mature people can take the punch and move on. Mature people can move on and not hold a grudge. Mature Christians can hold their tongue. Mature Christians can hit the delete button after they write that post. Mature Christians can be the bigger person and forgive. Mature Christians attempt to build the bridge, not the wall. You see, we're slaves to ourselves. When we can't see that. When we think it's okay to hide behind a laptop and talk about people over the computer screen. We think it's okay to bring about division in avenues like that. Mature Christians... Mature Christians don't do that. So how did Paul adapt? What was it that relieved the tension and allowed him to be so relaxed? It was the fact that he was convinced he had learned that Christ was in the midst of his every day. Pouring his power into him. He had learned that as he said in verse 19, that God would supply all his needs. Remember, no matter the situation, God was always going to be true to his word because he's a promise keeper. Yes? Has he ever not kept one? There might be some that haven't happened yet, but he's never not kept a promise. What else does Paul say? Number three, mature Christians have confidence in God's power. And Paul very clearly demonstrated this quality when he says in one of the most quoted texts in all of scripture where he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, maturing Christians, they've learned to rely on God's power within to enable them to withstand the pressures of the outside. Uh, as Paul said, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? You know what we tend to say is we tend to say things like, well, I'm okay under the circumstances, but circumstances were never meant to be something under. 
The Bible says that when, when we're in Christ, that we can be over and above them. Amen? That we never should allow the circumstance to dictate our emotion in the moment. But rather, as regulators, I walk into the situation praising God. Even if what I see with my eyes isn't what I know that he said, I have faith to know that at some point God's going to do it. When speaking on Israel, the Bible makes a point that it says in his word that if only you had paid attention to my commands. God desires for us to listen to his commands, the information which leads us to being transformed. It says, if you had only paid attention to my commands, what did it say? Your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. Don't, don't we want peace in every situation? Isn't that the thing that we strive for, the thing that we want the most? How does peace come? Peace comes when we pay attention to the commands that God gives us. Paul was mature. But in text, and I have to hurry, we see one more note about mature Christians, and that's they meet the needs of others regardless of the cost. When Paul needed help the most, the people gave, even when they couldn't afford to give. Why? Because they had discovered that giving enriches the giver. Paul pointed to this principle when he exclaimed, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He said, it's not the gift. I just want you to be blessed because I understand that you gave me. So now in return, you're going to get what God wants for you. There's this guy by the name of Maxie Jarman who lived in Nashville, Tennessee, died at the age of 76. Was an internationally known Christian businessman. He took a company from 75 employees to 75,000 employees, was very good at what he did. His company in the late 1960s was the world's largest clothing company. During his heyday, Maxi Jarman gave away millions of dollars. He built churches around the world. He gave to all different types of Christian causes. And then at some point in his life, he experienced a reverse in his um, a fortune. He lost his company and most of his personal money. During one of the darkest days of his life, a friend, personal friend, asked if he ever thought of the millions he had given away over, over the years, wondering if he had wished he had kept it. Maxie Jarman says, of course I have, I have you know, thought about that. But remember, I didn't lose a penny that I gave. I only lost what I kept. <laughs> Can I say that again? I didn't lose what I gave away. I only lost what I kept. This is the paradox of being a mature Christian. What we give, we keep. What we let go of, we hold on to. When we are willing to empty ourselves, we become full. You see, no gift that we can make to God ever leaves us poor, for it opens us up to the gifts and the riches of God. God, and it's not just money. It's when we give of our time, when we give of our gifts. I don't want to embarrass him, and I don't think he's here. He's probably watching online. I know, Lacey, you're here, but Kirk, your dad, he gives the church the greatest gift. And tell me how many times God has not blessed him. <laughs> Why? Why? Because God 
blesses the giver. That's what he does. He is an expert in that. If you'd come. If I'm taking these steps that I must take to grow up in Christ, then the information that's getting into my head must bring about the transformation of my heart. And when this happens, there's a third thing that must happen. And that's application must take place. This is the product of transformation. In other words, what I learn must transform my life so that my actions reflect the nature of Christ. So I want to ask you these questions so that we can reflect today. There's no altar call coming up and praying. I just want us to ponder on these questions. Number one is this. Is your present Christian walk taking you where you want to go? Is your current Christian walk taking your spouse and your children where you want them to go? If it is, praise God, you're on the right track. If it isn't, you've got to take the information, allow it to transform your heart so that application can take effect. Number two, who are you really allowing to lead you and make the decisions for your life? Meaning this, are we the shot caller? Or are we allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through us in every situation? Number three, what do I need more of in order to be successful in my journey? Am I reading enough? Am I praying enough? Am I doing personal, my personal intake of God's word? Am I doing that enough? What do you need to, to see the goals that you want? Well, pastor, I want my spouse in church. I want her to get saved. I, God, I want my children back in church. Okay, well then what do you need more of so that I can fulfill the promise that I gave you? And number four, when will you know that you have overcome the obstacles that have held you back? And I want to answer that one. You will know number four when one, two, and three have been answered. when your application takes effect and you can see the power of God literally working in every avenue of your life 